During retreat is a chance to look at the patterns of our lives, patterns of experience that we go through, try and consider that it's all something that should be learnt. We can learn things from, something to learn from it. You know, living in a monastery itself is a kind of, in a way it's a retreat situation in some respects, in as the qualities of, uh, of sense restraint, it's not a tremendously, um, not doing a lot of things. Uh, it's contained, it's kind of, Calmed, and yet it, it uh, doesn't have to appear that it doesn't necessarily isn't necessarily experienced that way. A retreat is a time when what morning chanting, evening chanting, one meal a day, gruel, tea, you know, taking things down to to simplicity, simplicity that is not, you know, it's not kind of a savage austerity. So it's not really dramatic simplicity. It's not a kind of ideological um, thing. It's not a kind of extremist thing. It's just to trying to keep things a level of reasonable, simple, quiet, okay, nothing much going on. You know, it's not a big campaign. It's not a crusade we're on. It's kind of like this, and within that, of course, you know, it's it's kind of got routines, so that everything is all sort of ordered and sorted out. <laughs> so this should be really amazingly calm, serene experience for everybody. <laughs> So why is it? <laughs> then we're, uh, it's a way. It's an opportunity to 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 recognise this, uh, you know, to acknowledge it, and to see actually it, the value of it is is not to be upset that it isn't particularly as serene and and ethereal and delightful as one would wish it, but. To, but to understand someone like someone who's practicing Buddha Dharma is someone who's actually interested in in suffering. <laughs> I mean, they're keen to, to do some more of it, but they're actually the suffering that dukkha that arises, they take an interest in it. Hey, there's something to be learnt here. This is an example of patterns of, of my, uh, my mind patterns that, that I'm not really conscious of, I'm not really in touch with, it's happening, it's, it's stuff that's going on and uh, I'm experiencing the feedback of that so of course we can always uh, well we don't really recognise that and suffering is always something outside of us, isn't it it's like the cold or the things turning up late or Somebody doing this or somebody not doing that. Oh dear. This is, that's happening. Suffering is because of that out there. But what we consider it, why, why it matters to us is the real, is the real nut, is the real crux of the point. We actually, we're not fully aware of this. But the real point of suffering is not that uh, things are unpleasant, wrong, uh, sick, diseased. Um, you know, it's it's that that we are that it matters to us, that it kind of affects us. We take it in somehow. We get caught in it.
this is not this is a kind this is to look at it this way is not um you know it's not just dismissing all of the things going wrong as being a complete illusion things are wrong things are not fair things are uh, break down things are unwell they they should be made better we don't want them that way we'd like them to be better we could put effort into making them better that's true this is what we call mundane action that is it it helps this mundane in this mundane sense of on the level in which i'm experiences myself and there's a world and i'm trying to make things better and that world may be just the size of this room you know you may when i say the world i mean the outward experience so yeah you know we can see well this isn't working or my body is this way or my mind's this way my mind is the world also whenever there's a sense of me and it what i mean by the mundane view of a subject and an object and the object's got things wrong with it the subject's trying to make it right but in this in this scenario what's always happening is the subject never really never really understands it never it's always like it it doesn't actually open itself up it doesn't receive things it doesn't question its motivation it doesn't kind of release it has its way of looking at things this is wrong and the subject remains uh fixed and so and so because of that there's the experience of suffering mm. things are things are affecting me i i you know i'm not prepared to to uh to abandon my position on it we can see to a certain extent our sense of who we are kind of is reflected in our ability to affect things change things to have some sort of power and control and say over things and then when we can't do that we feel a bit depressed or unhappy Well, this is not necessarily a wrong form of power either just our ability to do to make things work to do things and then we can't do that we feel disappointed with ourselves disempowered our ability to to hold and belong to things we we can't experience that we feel lost and dissociated disconnected our ability to to uh to have and accumulate things things that are pleasing things that are worthwhile things that are fortunate and not and be able to to discard and not have things that are unfortunate unhappy painful tedious and we can't do that we feel irritated we're vulnerable we don't want to be vulnerable we don't want to have to feel cold it's not the cold it's the not wanting to have to feel it that's the problem is the suffering isn't it it's the sense of you are a vulnerable thing and you can't have your way that's that's suffering that's more suffering than than knife wounds or cold or you know the physical impingement it's i can't have it my way i'm vulnerable and powerless i can't hold things i'm frustrated like that so the real you know hook of suffering is this is this sense of self my way which is on a monday level is totally justified so on the monday level that's you can say that there are it can be justified but on what we call there's a super monday super monday which is where suffering stops 
It's a super, suffering doesn't stop on the mundane. You know, we just find ways to kind of control it and it pops up somewhere else and we kind of dispel that and it pops up somewhere else. Something else goes out of whack. Something else hurts us. Something else we can't hold on to. We get that one and then something else goes off. So on the mundane level, we're, we're just able to kind of allay suffering here and there, but we never really get past it. The super mundane is when the subject begins to, 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 to understand this and recognize its own activities, its judging, its uh, condemning, its resisting, its aggressiveness, its domineering, its willfulness. And this may be quite subtle, actually. I'm using very strong words for things that may be quite subtle. That which moves out and takes over the world in a subtle way, but in a very palpable way. And you probably experience this in whenever you get a group of people working together. <laughs> you, know, you get six people working together and then you know, probably some people are just, well, I don't really mind. Because they're, they're actually, they're, they're not into it. They just go along because it's, it's not, they're not involved with that. Their minds are attending to something else. People whose minds are attending to things, think, well, I see it this way. And she sees it that way. And he sees it that way. Then we've got business, haven't we? You know, if we're not very careful, we end up with kinds of, struggles and conflicts over what and if there's a very strong energy then one person you know may find themselves really you know they naturally assume control they naturally assume ownership they naturally assume leadership they don't even know they're doing it the energy just kind of floods out over a thing and uh they're not intending deliberately to do it. It's just that's that's the way it is. We say that's the karma. The mind does that. It sees things in this way, in its own way, in my way. Ah, and it's all exactly right. That's it. I got it. That's you know. It's, and I feel convinced by it. And the conviction conviction is delightful. The sense of clarity is delightful. The you know, the sense of one feels quite excited by the the the, the, uh, the clarity, the, the conviction, the confidence. These are very powerful uh, things to the mind. Now oh, let's get you know, let's do this. <laughs> and then, you know, and then what's the matter with him? What's his problem? Why is he you know? Why he was he resisting for? What's he doing? Hmm. You know, what's the matter with him? You know? you know, they don't recognise you know, that uh, we've actually sort of taken over without, you know, without intending to. And people do this in different areas, I'm sure, and perhaps to lesser degrees. Uh, human beings have ways of, you know, often of finding, well, he's got that bit of territory. I'll move into this area. On a kind of unconscious way, they kind of feel each other out, you know, as to how they can get on with each other by allowing each other a little, you know, that's your sing, okay. That way. And uh, when you get a fit, you get communities of people, it's a real, tr- uh, real kind of uh, trial of this, uh, this, uh, for this particular. Because of this particular quality in human beings, and some people, of course, um, feel that they're not taking anything over anything, so they want to defend their non-involvement. That's their territory. And <laughs> 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 whenever you, you know, make sure that I'm holding on to my non-involvement and. Uh, don't get in, don't come in here, huh? you know. I don't even want to talk about it. That's how non-involved I am. 
So that's their space, and they're not letting anybody in on that one. They're holding on to that one too. So when you get uh, groups of people, uh, monasteries, um, about just a few days, living together, and we one finds one has business around, well, around small things. Somebody didn't hang the tea towels up. <laughs> Somebody put the way put the fire in wrong. Somebody cooked beans instead of potatoes. Somebody, you know, this kind of thing. The seating arrangements where one's space is respected. And these can be extremely painful things. They're not, you know. And we see within. It doesn't take long to, to begin to recognize the wonder the world is so violent, you know. I mean, the wonder it's so kind of manic and violent, and people are actually just getting by by dulling themselves out with drugs and booze and distraction. <laughs> the wonder, you know, once you start to actually cut off the di- means of distraction and sober up and look clearly, see all the uh, possibilities within a, a situation of calm, serenity, aspiration. For, for for bloodletting. <laughs> so I looked at a, a uh, was at a Christian monastery a little while ago, and of course there they they have this vow and they they stay there for you know for life. It's like life forty years. So can you imagine? Right now, the person you're sitting next to being there for 40 years, <laughs> whether you might not start to work out a little sort of <laughs> bit of, uh, go through a bit of stuff just on that, just on sitting next to the same person for 40 years. Look around him and see him again with his sniffle, his way of tapping his spoon in his cup, or his, what is, his, <laughs> Or his silly jokes, or his way of stroking the cat, or, you know, get some of my nerves. <laughs> For 40 years, you can imagine. You know, you know have, you, have you been married? What kind of ordeal. Of, of that, just, just good people, you know, not people who are bad or even dislike each other, just there. And this is, I was in this monastery, I was noticing how the monks in the monastery all managed to kind of have ways of, of like avoiding each other. You know, they come together for certain, there were certain things they could come together on, come together with the service, and then everything was kind of very closely structured. Like, you know, that's his book. <laughs> that's his cushion, you know. Right, okay. This is where the, the treaties have been made, okay, you know. This is. Uh, uh, and so it's very highly structured and organized, so nobody knows the rules. And outside that, you know, people's off to their rooms and their different spaces, you know, they've got, this is father so and so, this is brother so and so, you know, they've got it kind of sorted out like that. And then one of them was saying to me, he said, you oh, you know, it's really intense sometimes. And, you know, I was just talking, I was just coming out of the chapel with this, uh, you know, lay, one of the lay women, she was saying, oh, it's so lovely and sweet here. It's a devotion. It's a gentle, you know. And they, somebody left the door of the kitchen open. There was these two monks. One had a knife out. <laughs> just, <laughs> just got threatening the other one with a knife. Can't just hold it. Can't strip and fall out of words. <laughs> so the monk was talking to the lay person who carefully shut the door. And, yes. <laughs> I thought, oh yeah, yeah, I know that. Yeah, right. That's probably put too much salt in the gruel, or you know, <laughs> didn't hang the tea towel up in the right way. But been doing it for forty years, and finally something snapped. You know? <laughs> so of course, most people don't do that. They don't live that way. So it never, it, you know. It doesn't get that intense because you always kind of shift around and move off and another way. You don't have routines. When you have this kind of 
simple routines and, and stability like this, then, yeah, it's supposed to be for reducing calm, but it also makes you realize just that these tiny little grit, you know, these tiny little bits of grist, if you like, that actually begin to heap up. And, uh, and the immense projections that can occur onto other people over, you know, particular minor idiosyncrasies or, or habits, you know, this one's always late or she never volunteers or, you know, this kind of thing. He's a real power freak or she's a workaholic or, you know, the kind of little caricatures that can occur in, in, in a community. Uh, and this is quite, you know, when we actually look at all this, then you realize that, that uh, the source of, of karma and suffering coming from karma, suffering coming from karma formations, and karma formations are the things in the mind that, that, that which, from which action karma comes from. From the karma formations and things that are the seed beds of karma, of action. Action which has the impression of self, action which has the footprint of self, action which leaves a track of a self and gives rise to a self, action which is the continuation of self from one moment to the next and is the agent of rebirth. So, my particular ways and means and my my physical form, you know, these are all, we say this is all kind of karmic in that it's what defines me as a person. Uh, so the body's this way and it, it's kind of, it changes very slowly. Uh, there may be particular um, actions that are, you know, that I have particular ways of doing things that I'm good at or not good at. So you see, that's kind of karmic too. That defines me. And if I identify with it and absorb into it, then I tend to intensify the the karmic power of that thing. If I get more and more locked into my own thing, then in a way I, I become, so it's going to be extremely delightful, of course, because it's always got car, karma has this kind of magnetic power of making us feel real and charged up and solid and, you know, it's very convincing stuff. That's how come it's so magnetic. So when I'm being me, doing things my way and the things I'm good at, following my ideas and my, uh, my attitudes, then things are really swinging along for me. And uh, but it's also the more it's the more it's you know I'm totally saturated in that experience. Then actually the less sensitive I am to anybody else's way of doing things um, and stuff and and sensitivities. And uh, and you know which is which is therefore uh, certainly a source of suffering and. What I don't recognize is that it, it, it's suffering for myself because it continues to re-establish me in that particular mode where I'm, I'm blinkered. I've got tunnel vision. I'm, I'm taking myself seriously. I'm convinced by myself. So I'm being continually reborn in that particular mode. And the suffering of that is that uh, being reborn in that, then one will always be in a situation where, you know, there's a potential conflict, which sooner or later will come. Because my way cannot be sustained as a permanent thing. Physically, it's, it's a breakdown of the body for a start. But, you know, I can't expect that my, you know, I can continue in that kind of karma-active, triumphant mode without some kind of challenge from inanimate forces, from things breaking down, from weather, from other people, from 
um, all the sorts of things that happen. You know, machines break down, tools break down, um, weather changes, things can't go, and so on and so on. There's always that kind of, as long as one actually invests in that, then you're investing in something that is very convincing and has got a charge to it, but it's also extremely fragile and vulnerable. So, and then when it, when it gets, one's balloon gets burst, then there's the sorrow, or the disappointment, or the frustration, or the bitterness, or even the kind of uh, self-doubt, confusion. As you know, when you know people um, to leave their home or their house or leave their job, you know they're not um, losing out financially. There's a kind of wrench from just being separated from their norm, where they were even if it wasn't that wonderful, the feeling of being real and solid, and this is what I am, and then it, it losing it. So we are very vulnerable, and we try. We don't want to be vulnerable, but we actually are vulnerable, and that vulnerability is our suffering. If we don't, if we uh, stay in that mode of of being some someone who is an agent. Has a world, has a way, has a thing, has an identity, has an attitude, has a belief, belongs to something, owns something, is heading somewhere, is going somewhere, has got territory. As long as there's that, then we're in this very vulnerable position. And we keep putting ourselves into it, often with the feeling that if you could shore it up, make it strong enough, you wouldn't be vulnerable. If you could get the right place, your right world, get things finally sorted out the way you want them to be, then you know you wouldn't have an irritating impingement of things going another way and people interfering or you know things would be just really well. You know, the uh, the renunciant life, when you look at it very, when you take it, that idea very thoroughly, is about relinquishing karma. That's its its highest aim. It's not just about relinquishing money or food or sex or homes. You know, these may be things that we've actually saturated with those karma tendencies. They can give us power, they can give us delight, they can give us ownership. They can give us a sense of achievement. They can give us some sort of sense of uh, fulfillment. So, yeah, I mean, relinquishing those things, not because of the things so much as, as, the, as what they, as the kind of psychology that depends upon them and is fostered by them. But of course, having relinquished these, you know, these list of objects, then the psychology is still there. So, you know, it just it can find other things to do it on. So, so renunciation doesn't stop, that, doesn't stop at a, a, a few monastic vows or, or training rules. It's a good, it's a good start. It's a kind of, you can feel your tentacles pulled off the rock, as it were. But then they, <laughs> after a while, they start to twitch around and find something else to latch on to. Renunciation is, is a you know if you look at it in a very you know more profound way, it's something that, that is, has a value that's extremely 
uh, far-reaching. We're not looking just at relinquishing particular things, but understanding the very activity of the psychology, the psychological activity that's running, moving, groping, reaching, holding, gobbling, consuming, defending, judging, measuring, pushing away, condemning, approving, rooting itself, and saying, let's just, let's just, can we relinquish some of this, a little bit of it? Can we let some of it go? To be, so we can be free of that particular karma-forming habit. So then we have um, the Eightfold Path. It's a practice, practice path. And the Buddha defined this as having mundane and super-mundane. So, and it's always talked about it as being um, every facet of it is is uh, guided with right view effort and mindfulness right view effort and mindfulness right effort and right mindfulness so like right speech of the mundane is that one says things that are skillful, refrains or refrains to saying, saying things that are harmful, abusive, uh, lying, uh, cause disharmony, rough, harsh words. One refrains from these things. This is mundane right speech. The super-mundane is when we have right view, right mindfulness and right effort. So you you look into the mind state behind right speech. And one does not praise oneself, one does not condemn others. One does not feel, oh, oh, I have right speech, she doesn't. One does not feel one is better or worse than another person. One doesn't condemn oneself for wrong speech. This is right view, right mindfulness, right effort. It takes mindfulness to keep penetrating these things. It takes right view, which is the view of relinquishment, of non-self, that kind of relaxation of the tendency to grasp and accumulate and identify. It takes effort to keep holding that, that that penetration So we have right, there's a um, meditation itself, mundane meditation. Sometimes it's talked of in terms of uh, cultivating the four jhanas and the even the four, the four um, spheres of based on the fourth jhana. So this is these spheres of no, no thing, spheres of infinite consciousness, sphere of infinite space, sphere of neither perception nor non-perception. These are, of course, extremely refined um, states of consciousness, extremely refined. The Buddha said, this is the best kind of grasping you can have. This is mundane. This is mundane, uh, good quote unquote good uh, concentration, good samadhi. This is the best, but they say it's, it's affected by taints, affected by grasping. Still a sense of an agent that does it, has done it, is there, has it. And uh, said that the um, 
the relinquishment of grasping. This is deathlessness. This is the supramundane. It's a relinquishment of grasping, of attachment, of positions, of holding. So we can see that uh, mundane is always, uh, it's got karma involved with it. And it's its cause, it's, it's, it's affected, it's held together, it's achieved, it's perpetrated, and it becomes the sphere for some kind of self. And there are, there are many, many spheres and realms for the self. There are the hellish ones, the unfortunate ones, when, we, when there is action based on cruelty, are, um, greed, violence and such things. There are, there are beautiful ones, actions based upon kindness and generosity, harmlessness and there are ones that are imperturbable that is when there's act, when there's the like the refined refinement of consciousness to the point where the where the consciousness becomes extremely refined and imperturbable and the buddha said there are these realms too and then there's the the realmless or the, which is non-grasping, the supramundane, nibbana, no karma, not caused, not giving rise to a succeeding self, not vulnerable, not subject to breaking up, not subject to disappointment or conceit, competition, viewpoints, ideologies. You know, the karma, if we look at uh, the experience we're having just in an ordinary day, you know, and notice uh, where there's conflicts, <coughs> we're facing the conflict maybe with another person, or the conflict maybe with ourselves. Why am I this way? I can't concentrate. I'm greedy. I'm grumpy. I'm lustful, I'm confused, you know, some kind of conflict with one's, you know, one of you that way. And then we think the suffering is because my mind is like, you know, I have this terrible mind state. Or I, so we can see either the suffering is something other than the one who's experiencing it. You know, I look at my mind and think, oh, it shouldn't be like that. Or another person, they shouldn't be like that. But really, it's the same paradigm. One is judging it, not understanding it. And in the back of the mind, there's that always that fervent wish to be someone else, to be in another situation. So, and while we believe in this, then, for example, many people feel, well, you know, get out of Chithurst, get away from that heavy number. You know, that, that Anagarika, that nun, that monk, that Ajahn, that cat. <laughs> Whatever, you know, we'll write, get out of that, that case. You know, whether it was weather, the weather was like this or the food was like that. And then, you know, I'll be all right then. Many people feel that and follow that. And then, you know, they take their suffering with them. Or it may be that we're more refined than that. We th- we don't think we don't blame the monastery. We don't blame the other people. Thinks me. If I wasn't this way, if I could finally get it together, I just stop being like that. When am I ever learn to be like this and shut up like that? Then I'll be all right. You know? And it's very much the same kind of pro- 
paradigm because as long as we act on that energy then the thing just transfers it just goes on because the whole blueprint of self of mundane of me and the world is not being affected one iota by that not one jot we just shift the wallpaper we rearrange the deck chairs on the on the deck of the Titanic if you like still going down you know you just move two of the chairs around makes you feel better <laughs> oh that's better much nicer view now <laughs> So, what really required is to is to underst- is to develop understanding around that that edge. Well, this is what you know the real awakening Buddha teaching is an understanding of the edge of of conflict. You know, not to even assume there shouldn't be conflict, but to develop to be able to cultivate the resources to to receive conflict and look into it. take it inside it's very difficult for us emotionally to to, to do that take it inside ourselves to say to, to say I am doing the hurting it wasn't what she said it's I am actually doing the hurting now it's something I'm doing Something in my mind is saying, "Oh, you shouldn't do that to me. I don't want to." Why no? no. Something in my—I'm remembering it. I'm rehashing it. I'm still, you know, trying to spit it out—the terrible taste of it. I'm doing it now. Take, you know, to actually take that, take that in. Not to deny the fact that someone might have acted unskillfully, but right now, you know, we take it in. Now, I'm the only one who does the suffering. It's entirely my thing. And uh, to... If we can cultivate this, then it brings about a certain change of change of view. It requires a change of view, and it brings around a certain change of view. It, re- it gives a certain kind of uh, calm, actually, which is not a mundane calm. It's not a calm because things are particularly tranquil. It's more like something that's super mundane in that. It's a calm because it, it why it's super mundane is it is not it's not going anywhere. It's not dependent on a particular circumstance. It's the super mundane calm which comes from seeing the first noble truth. The four noble truths, the realizations of them are super mundane realizations. They're where the sense of self drops away, the sense of the world and the self, that dualism drops away. And the actual constituents of experience are revealed. And the constituents of experience are activities. They are karma activities. And uh, we talk of the Buddha talked of uh, karma activities as primarily, I suppose, volition certain intending, motivating goal which can be subtle it's not necessarily deliberately thought out the heart is set on something consciousness is aimed towards something there's a drive volition 
and it's changing from moment to moment and of course it's fundamentally pointed in the direction of some kind of pleasure, pleasantness you know whether it's refined, subtle, gross inane, whatever it is and it, it carries it's the seed of karma and it's seeking to pen, to, perp, uh, to perpetuate the self a particular aspect of self very much identified with volition when my volition is checked frustrated then I experience upset things not going my way attention is another karma tendency volition is is the most strongest but we see that volition you can't you can't just stop it it's um, you know because then stopping it is another volition isn't it we look at say trying to point it another way that's still you can change the direction but you can't you can't uh, stop that so where will volition how will volition cease how will there be the ceasing of that the, the Buddha another foundation principle of the Buddha's teaching is conditionality it's only the release and liberation is only possible because things that exist only exist conditionally they they are dependent upon other things they they don't they do they have no fixed permanent absolute existence they are conditionally causally arisen and if the causes and conditions that support them cease then they cease and this is a very important principle for for realization for liberation intention obviously um, to intend there has to be other factors there has to be the ability uh, attention is something that uh, is, a, is a, 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 a conditional support for intention doesn't mean it creates it but it supports it so if one can attend and sustain attention upon something then you get an aim on it don't you uh, when one, for example, when one, if one first comes to the monastery, one first, then you don't really have much of a, a reading on the place. Mm, the house, people, mm, robes, sculptures, lights, mm. and things are sort of, you know, what do I do? What am I supposed to do? What's it all about then? And your intent, your kind of intention arrow is just swinging, vaguely looking for you know, which way do I go? Which way do I point it? After a few, you can't say get a reading on saying, "Now you do this at this time, now at that time." This one, you're starting to get it sort of sussed out, and then you, you can start to aim for particular things, the good bits, <laughs> and then how to avoid the the unpleasant bits. You know, so you start to get a little more kind of selective on what you really focus on, and now you can kind of either dull out or ignore or kind of wiggle away from the more unpleasant bits Um, and then uh, you know after a while one starts to actually have opinions about it all Mm -hmm. I need more of this less of that don't want any of that kind of thing let me read a few books and look at that now I've become an expert and uh, (laughs) suddenly (laughs) this takes it may only take a week actually <laughs> Depending on the kind of karma forming tendencies there, and then you suddenly, you know, then you realise how it doesn't actually match up to to what it should really should be, and it's not really quite good enough. But um, you know, some I just tell you how it should be. So that then once in, you know, you, you, first of all, your your intention doesn't have much of a not got a vague kind of swinging around looking for something that's pleasing, inspiring, gratifying and fulfills certain needs you don't really know about it and you get a fix on the place and then you start to operate within that 
and then uh, you're, you're, so that then your attention begins to kind of crystallize, you know it, and then you can begin to judge it, and then if uh, your intention takes over and says, this doesn't match up to my, to my intent. So the intention, first of all, kind of acts within, you know, the, the attention first acts as a support field for intention. As your intention kind of gets clearer, then the intention rejects the support field for attention. But that's what stimulated it in the first place. The other factor is, very important factor, is the impressions, the sense impressions that occur. Very, very significant through the eye, ear, nose, tongue, body, and through the mind, the the sense contact, the impressions that occur. Naturally, they they also affect our intention, don't they? Because some are unpleasant, so we, we try to get away from that. Some are pleasant, we focus on that. What you focus on, then you build up a whole field of attention around it. It's pleasant, you know, you become very focused upon that, how you can get it to be more of it, and then eventually it isn't quite good enough. Your intention overrides it. So this is why these things, these three, go together to to create an experience, to help you define experience, to help you steer within experience, and then to help you find out that that experience is not good enough and look for the next one. This is how this whole thing goes on and on. And we can apply that to to external situation or to this this thing, this body-mind complex. The more we know it, the more we realize it doesn't match up to our intentions and aspirations. Before Before you really started to to uh, know yourself you weren't dissatisfied with yourself <laughs> then you started practicing Buddhism you weren't depressed <laughs> didn't have the kind of years it was all out there now <laughs> you found out it's in here <laughs> it's in, but it isn't in here either really it's conditionally arisen dependent upon these things If we cultivate some of the skills of meditation, you're able to stretch attention. You're able to move it around so it doesn't just lock into particular zones, territories, patterns. Someone who's always up in their head starts to learn to get into their body, simply. Someone who's very much concerned with the world of ideas and thoughts starts to just focus on physical feelings someone who's extremely logical and rational maybe starts to open up to their emotions someone begins to find out what their feet feel like what what a physical sensation is people who who kind of abstracted into thought start to find out what what physical sensations are about what's a body like do this quite deliberately it takes quite a bit of doing and in the things that we are highly focused on we're trying to cultivate relinquishing them not because they're bad but just because we're too we're too we're too focused on them we're putting down some of our preoccupations and projects and roles and activities just just cool out you know? and then you begin to recognize certain obsessive patterns like uh, you know that come up, and particularly are more able to see them when one's doing a retreat. You know, because you've got a kind of very blank space, and then you see, you know, that in the mind which gets engrossed in things, or that in the mind which doesn't want to know, to pull back, and we can recognise these traits in ourselves. That's why I'm always so busy. Why was always always got so much to do? Why is it there's always so much to do? 
We don't realize, you know, because that's that's the program. And there's, you know, you sort of send that out into out of outer space. You can find plenty of things to do, and then think, oh, I don't like it. There's so much to do. So these are, and I do, you know, I have these, I witness these things myself. You know, kind of, kind of can, can feel oppressed. Feel the sigh of these resting on me. It isn't. Just, you know, I pull it there. Demand it to be there. Tenaciously. <laughs> You know, suffering is our most precious treasure. We don't want to let go of it for anybody's sake. Because <laughs> it's our, our identity. We're all built on it. So we, it's, the more you, you get to witness these, these moods and pathologies arising, recognize them. This is really important stuff, really interesting stuff. Valuable stuff. Nothing to be ashamed of or go get obnoxious about. Or, you know, this is really interesting stuff. Because if you uh, you see, if you begin to actually tackle it as a meditation theme, then you're really moving towards the super mundane. To challenge your own. Perceptions, your own reality, is the greatest, most wonderful thing to do. Not be throttled by the death trap of your own reality. Just question some of these things. How important it all gets, how important we are to ourselves, how we take ourselves so incredibly seriously, beat ourselves up, hate ourselves, and lament over ourselves, and worry about ourselves. So important. (laughs) there's, There's a lot of karma there. And then what is the what is the way we look at the kind of at the pathologies, at the compulsions, at the obsessions, at these kind of manias, the average insanity of the average person, not the kind of stuff that we can actually point, just the average everyday insanity of it all. What's the way out of, the, of that? You look for the signs. Super signs of the super mundane. Where they rise in the heart. And anything that goes towards holding another object is not going to be it, is it? Because it's me with another object. It's not going to be anything like that. It's not going to be a a getting another experience of any kind, is it? Can't be, because it'll just be me and the world again, and more karma. So are 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 there actual, if you like, activities, subtle activities, that lead to no object? lead to objectlessness that we can experience. Mm. Then you can, you know, consider what is faith? Can you, do you have the faculty of faith? Does that arise? A sense of, you know, that one which can just move forward or move or open, without really knowing what it is, what the next moment is, 
And this life is like that. It's a real act of faith and a test of faith because there are all kinds of phantom realities that come up threatening. An all night sitting, oh no. Well, they serve chamomile tea at midnight, oh no. Pain worse than death. <laughs> well, I start dribbling on my sangati by one in the morning, fall off the arse and I'm making an idiot of myself. Oh, might happen, stick around. <laughs> the act of faith is, well, I don't know, here we go. And I've done this so many times, and each time it's an act of faith. Every Dhamma talks, and I don't know what I'm talking about. You know, this is chanting the Patimoka today, and just not, not knowing a single word of it. And it's going through it, just, just, and just realizing the next moment, the next word flashes up. Next, so they weren't all there, but like 98%, 99% of them were right. And just kind of flashing up out of nowhere. And just looking at this stuff. Where did that come from? And you just, it's like uh, walking the tightrope. Just keep going. Don't look down. <laughs> you look down, you start trying to, where's the solid ground? You fall off. But faith is, to my mind, is something that moves towards the deafness. We really understand um, the quality of effort. This is something that is, again, is perfected, is purified by non-grasping, by not effort to, to get to this or to that, but just the ability just to sustain and persist, just to be with it. Like to, almost to resolve this life, to be with this life fully, whatever it is. You know? Not so that, but just because it is. So therefore we'll be with it, we'll persist, we'll sustain, we'll give it 100%, or as much as, much as our flickering attention allows. All night sitting is a test for that, isn't it? It's not the effort to get, you know, zapped out by 2 a.m. It's the effort to just stay through it, through through all these tremendous things that can make us think it's not worthwhile, why bother and give up, beginning and not really doing much meditation, muttering. But if you do, I've found doing these, over many years now one does have the ability to have a kind of an effort that is not is not caught up with karma it's just because it is then one persists mindfulness what is mindfulness about it doesn't have an object doesn't have an aim. Its aim is to is to relate, to note, cultivate mindfulness around dread and desire, rather than trying to get away from them. Around fear and guilt, around these kind of nasty little things that come out of the woodwork. Be mindful of them rather than try to not have them all. We know, we understand, we contemplate. Because of that, things don't hold us. The mindfulness has got, it's open-ended really. <clears throat> These are things that we can cultivate. Um, samadhi itself is uh, it's super mundane samadhi is the experience, the absorption onto the the uh, experience of release 
so that you know mundane what they call mundane jhana is absorption onto a particular uh, refined perception or sense base or field of consciousness and the super mundane is absorption onto letting go if you like release it's full focus on that so it's again it's on something that's got no no angle, no form to it. And wisdom is the wisdom of understanding four noble truths. This is really helpful when one comes with the idea of understanding life, understanding, you know, developing wisdom, realizing nibbana. Is it true? But much more, much more helpful to think. Try to understand why I suffer. Fully understand suffering and its, its cessation. Much more helpful than what's enlightenment about and can everybody be enlightened and you know, there are different kinds of it or is an arahant less enlightened than the body's at or you know, he's got, yeah. It's, why, it's, why do you suffer? That's that's the wisdom that actually doesn't give you another thing to grab onto. And uh, for sure, there'll be plenty of opportunities for that this night, tomorrow morning, <laughs> and every night, for the rest of your life. <laughs> so it does. Uh, these are things that you just consider the, you know, the, what these, these things can mean in the heart. You know, it's sort of like moving towards some, you know, it's not, it's just having a volition that has no particular object. The object, the object, if, if you like, the object is, is, is relinquishment. And what you know what you know what what supports that. So when there's the heart moves towards tension, negativity, then obviously we move towards kindness, forgiveness. When the move, mind heart moves towards um, holding on to this or that or giving this or that, then we move towards relinquishment. And you work with these things. And you work with intention, and you work, you know, in the formal meditation and in the experience of your life. And then this is the way we come to the end of karma, the, the ceasing of that, because intention then has no object to root into. <laughs> <laughs>